Jack Thorne is an internationally acclaimed playwright and BAFTA award-winning screenwriter. His adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials is currently airing on HBO and the BBC, and his new series The Eddie was recently released for Netflix. Thorne's screenwriting career began on the Channel 4 series Shameless and BBC series Skins. Later this year, his feature adaptation of The Secret Garden will be released and feature films Enola Holmes and Swimmers are on the way. Thorne's films include The Aeronauts, starring Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, Wonder, starring Julia Roberts, and A Long Way Down, starring Tony Collette. As a playwright, Jack's credits include the Tony and Olivier Award-winning West End and Broadway hit Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Jack Thorne, uh, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, I mean, they told me you were prolific and I've really just been drawing, I've just been binging his dark materials and this year is, is quite amazing for you. But in terms of um, the number of projects out there or soon to be released, um, and I think about your early work, um, The Fades, just tell me how you fell in love with storytelling and uh, specifically, you know, I guess television, radio and the different mediums you worked in. Um. Uh, I, I grew up um, uh, watching TV with my mum. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot about how to be a human watching TV with my mum, uh, watching films and TV. And, uh, you know, and I was a weird kid. Um, I didn't have anyone to play Dungeons and Dragons with. I really should have had someone to play Dungeons and Dragons with. Um, and uh, And I didn't quite know how to... Um, uh, be in the world and uh, you know uh, TV shows like um, The Bell EastEnders shows you might well not know I, know uh, uh, I lived in England for a bit so. okay cool wicked well there, there we are do you know what I mean like you know TV shows like that that really um, that really uh, uh, just spoke of the everyday experience I found really reassuring and invigorating and you know and I um and uh, I've got a tattoo on my hand of uh, Be Good from the film E.T. My son is called Elliot from the film E.T. Uh, I just always felt like stories were a safe place. Yeah it's it's interesting that yeah because no matter what uh children or whatever the characters go through dark like dark places but there's always this resolution which is it's quite nice. <laughs> well, sometimes there isn't, but but yeah. the, but the, the the idea that the, that there are um, that there are places to escape to, that there are um, big thoughts to think about, that that life is more than playground politics. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, I always found very um, very uh, uh, helpful to me. You know. Yeah, it's in, and it's a place of magic. So if we uh, speak about like his dark materials, which is of, co of course adapted from the Philip uh, Pullman books, um, you know, yeah, it's 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 very dark, but there's a sense of wonder. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I'm wondering what your um, you know, because you're drawing upon like magical thinking or this kind of superstitious thinking. I mean, what were you as a as a young child? What, what were the way you saw the world? As opposed to like now, what you believed was real and how the world worked. I was I I really struggled with what I believed was real. Um, uh, 
my uh um I the first time I went to the theater was to see a play called uh Toad of Toad Hall. Um when Toad crashed his car um and he was really upset, I had to be taken out of the theater because I was really upset. I got really upset for him. Mm. Uh uh I got taken out of the jungle book because um there's a moment when Baloo seems to have died and I got really upset by that. Um, my dad, for some reason, took me to see Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Uh, there's a terrifying bit in that when someone has a heart pulled out of their chest. Um, I had to be uh, taken out of that cinema. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that um, things were always too vivid. Uh, you know, I had two weeks of nightmares after watching Jaws. Um, I was, I'm just that sort of, like, um, uh, didn't have a very good relationship between what was real and what was not real. Um, I just, just interject, I can relate. I started a riot in the Muppet show because I thought they were going to kill Kermit and apparently everyone else uh, <laughs> don't kill Kermit. You know, it's like a, a, a whole cinema of children shouting. So awesome. I, I can relate <laughs> early movie experiences. But that all is, is, I mean, maybe it can make growing up a bit difficult, this sensitivity and feeling intense empathy for others even fictional characters but as a writer that's your stock and trade right you can absolutely absolutely just to follow up on that i was yeah. once in a theater i was operating the lights for a pantomime uh-huh. and uh snow white had just um, um bitten an apple and snow white had uh, fallen asleep and buttons was doing a song and a dance number about going to look for snow white and a kid approached the stage and said, you need to stop dancing. Snow White is in trouble. <laughs> and the poor actor was like, oh, I just need to finish this bit. And the kid was like, no, you need to stop dancing. Snow White is in trouble. And uh, and um, and then all these other kids started joining in with just like, you need to stop. So they had to abandon the entire <laughs> dance and just move on to the next bit of the plot because uh the kid was like no that, look, look do you know what I mean like you know we're worried about snow white and you don't seem to be you're singing a song you know that's that's so it's so beautiful that um i yeah i love that belief you know like i w- wish you could like all go back to that when we were really so convinced um speaking of theater then you've done amazing um uh, I, w- I don't really want to say it's, you've done adaptations, yeah, pure adaptations, but you've also done like imaginative. Um, I don't know, re- the J.K. Rowling and the Curse of the, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. No, the Curse of yeah. Child. I don't know what you call that. It's a it's a develop an exploration of another aspect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've always loved fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it as a kid, and uh, I love the way that it can lead you to ask big questions. I mean, Harry Potter came up as a total, like, um, shock and surprise. The idea that anyone would let me play in this Hogwarts universe was wow. was nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was the honour of my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, to be given that opportunity. She'd said no to so many. I mean, it wasn't... It was to, to really to be entrusted with that is amazing. And, of course, went on to great success and, and many awards. I don't know. I'm probably losing count now. You've, you've been so um, well awarded for your many. But what is that like doing... Now, that's not a pure adaptation, but you've done other adaptations where you are... It's a retelling of the story. And what has, uh, one, what has adaptations taught you about the writing process, perhaps? And what have you, you know, learned along the way doing that? And then... You then the the level of care in terms of the fans, the readers, and uh, how. Um, the, 
the, the, I mean, it, the, sort of adaptation come in two different forms for me. Um, one is when a, a book has been well adapted before. Mm-hmm. So when a book has had many lives. Mm-hmm. So I did Christmas Carol, for instance. Yes. And um, Christmas Carol has been done, you know, 400,000 times mm-hmm. on many, many different, in many, many different forms. So it didn't feel like I needed to have a fidelity to the book. Um, it felt like I needed to tell my version of Christmas Carol that that's what I'd been entrusted to do with His Dark Materials. It was His Dark Materials' first foray into television. Mm-hmm. Television felt like a really, really good form to tell the story in. It felt like an important form to tell the story in. And so, um, and so in that case, it was like, uh, okay, I need to work out a way to... Um, to, to really be loyal to these books because these books are, are so special mm-hmm. and so wonderfully written and I need to I need to um, uh, do my best by uh, you know that I haven't been entrusted to write my version of his star materials I've been invited to write the version of his star materials and in that case your job is very different and um, and I've learned so much through doing it. I've learned so much about what sort of writer I want to be. Um, and I've learned so much about, um, about the, you know, Philip is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, to get to, to be able to study his work for this length of time, I've been, I've been doing it for longer than anyone would do a PhD. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I've been working on Philip Pullman and, um, and, uh, and I, I feel like it's really grown me as a writer. I hope it's really grown me as a writer. No, it's it's interesting because this kind of intense listening you have to do, and you have to keep that all seamless and 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 make it feel like ex- exactly out of the mind of the the originator of the, the the book. So I, I can only imagine it's interesting. Well, all kind of writing for television or film, I think, is somehow an adaptation, or what we see is a translation process. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So that, that's interesting. It's uh, the number of times it gets translated into different people's imaginations. Um, in terms of the freedoms and the restrictions, do you have a, a preference for working, doing adaptations, or you know, you originated your own stories and series? And um, uh, I have. Um, I don't have a preference. I, I I like doing both. I hope I can continue doing both. I, I feel like swapping between them uh, makes me better, and all I want to do is get better. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, in terms of uh, staying on um, adaptations for a while, I, it's really, you know, um, Christmas Carol, Secret Garden. I mean, they're really um, icon. They're I call them icons. They're really um, central to what we think of the English imagination. I mean, they're just the, the core of what, um, and, and, and children's, um, sorry, stories for children. So, uh, so it's so nice to be involved in that, I imagine. Oh, it's glorious, it's glorious, it's glorious. And, um, and I, I mean, rereading The Secret Garden when they asked me to, to pitch for it, um, I was shocked by how brilliant her characters were. I remembered the setting. I remembered the discovery. I I I I'd forgotten what an amazing character Mary Lennox was, and um, and spending time with her was was just astonishing. Wow.
And uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of those books that I, it was like my earliest experience of reading. So yeah, yeah. I'd love to go back to, and see how I was, uh, just to see. But that's interesting too, because you get to revisit works that you read as a child. Absolutely. I, I, I would thoroughly recommend rereading Secret Garden. It will shock you how good it is. It will. It really will shock you how how interesting a character Mary is. Yeah, it is. It's funny because you don't always pick up those nuances. And so then I imagine in your writing, because it's to appeal to very young people, but also to their parents who may be watching it, then you have this kind of subtext <laughs> that you can introduce little uh, strands. I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting with with uh, Secret Garden because um, because we did have to balance. The fact that you know Mary was awful. Mary's awful at the beginning of the book. She's really horrible. She hits people. She's mm-hmm. she's out of control. She's very very privileged, and she's very very angry in the world. And we had to balance that against the fact that this had to be a family film. So it was it was a very interesting process that in terms of going what we can show and what we can't show. It, it, we needed to make it dislikable. We wanted to make it the journey of someone becoming likable again. It to themselves that she has to learn to like herself again. But um, but yeah, that thing of just going um, is is she, you know, how nasty can she be? Was was a was a big question for us all the way through. Yeah, well, it's amazing how much children can understand at a young age when we imagine that they're so precious they are precious and innocent but at the same time they're so intuitive and what they can pick up you know yeah. um so that that's interesting the level of maturity that's there even and they're very young so another okay. one of your projects uh, now is uh, the eddie and I, i'd like to learn more about that because i guess i don't um i don't know when is that coming out or Oh wow! <laughs> that's no, yeah. So, you know, so I line it up. I know that's with um, that's Damien Chazelle directing. So, just tell us that you know how that came about. The, the um, well, it was um, that uh, that I was in LA doing a writers' room, and um, and my agent suggested that I um, meet up with um, a young filmmaker that they were very excited by, um, and uh, and he had a project that I might be right for. And uh, they sent me a DVD of Whiplash. Uh, it was before Whiplash had come out, um, and uh, I had my head blown off. I was then put in a room with Alan Paul, who produced some of my favourite TV of all time, and uh, and and Glenn Ballard, who made most of the music I'd listened to. And uh, it was um, really, 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 really extraordinary and very, very fortunate experience. Oh yeah, and 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 Chazelle has gone on to um, La La Land, right? And so exactly, yeah. he's become a superstar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. superstar. So is this? So is the Eddie? I don't know the story, so it's coming out soon. By the time with this is shared, yeah. it, we can talk about it. So it's a, it's um it's the story of um uh, an American jazz club in Paris, mm-hmm. and it's set on the edge of Paris near the Ring Road, and it's it's mm-hmm. um and it's the story of a multicultural club trying to make its way um and then certain criminal elements get involved that make it very um difficult for everyone all right that's fascinating well i can relate because i'm here in paris and the jazz scene is still very um vibrant you know it's i yeah. think the uh, it's it's quite well known um parisians love for jazz it didn't go away like you know um i think they're some of the strongest fans of jazz maybe i, I don't know well, if you, do you know lagar do you know the jazz club lagar yes i do yes yeah so um uh that, that's where the eddie's set so it's right on the edge 
uh, yeah. right near the ring road out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think I have a certain nostalgia for, I thought those clubs still exist here, but if you think about, you know, like the early jazz clubs and Descent, uh, I, I, I have, um, I have a certain nostalgia for it, don't you? Or even just yeah. any kind of live, well, these days, any kind of live performance, <laughs> like, you know? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, But to see, like, improvisation, um, in that way is very exciting. Okay, but relating that to your scripts, like usually they wouldn't be improvising your scripts too much because it's they're very well like plotted stories. But do you sometimes get you know when you see an actor embody or, or when different element of different your collaborators come in and do something else with it? Have you been like surprised or how has that taken your imagine? You know, did you see other possibilities? I, I see. I see quite a lot. We we I mean we used improvisation quite a lot in the Eddie. Um, uh, we used, uh, and I, I mean, one of my um, key collaborators over the years has been this filmmaker, Shane Meadows, mm-hmm. um, who's a genius. Um, and Shane used a lot of improvisation in his work. Um, and uh, Shane has always, um, Shane has always been of the opinion that you just sort of uh, wind people up and let them go. And uh, and that we have a structure. We have a very rigid structure. We have a story. We're Telling very carefully, but um, but that's but that there has to be room for the actors to to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And that must be as you're writing. So I mean, it's an that it's a uh, doubly an imaginative process. You have your words, or you're and you're leaving space for, say, the music to be put in at the end, or the way the lighting and the design and the costume will fill it. So you have to imagine. Oh, I'll hold back because they'll do that part. So, how do you? I mean, do you write extra and then you think take it out, or how? How do you? Yeah, the, I think the way is always to make it perfect in your head, uh-huh. and so to write as much as possible that you can that, to give a mood, mm-hmm. but to be aware and content with the idea that um, uh, directors and uh, DOPs and actors and composers and everyone else will bring their own artistry to it and that they will change the story you're telling. And I love that. So I, 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 I love that bit of the process. I don't want to be a novelist. I like, I like working with other people. I really like it. Yes. And so, I mean, at the moment, television is going through uh, like a renaissance, I guess we could say. And are you like, um, I think it must be wonderful for, because uh, it's very empowering for writers. There was never, there were, it was not always an empowering situation for writers, I guess, on, sometimes with films or whatever. But in terms of the stories that you like telling, are you, do you enjoy this kind of episodic, you know, as opposed to usually, um, you know, a shorter film adaptation? Or how do you, or a shorter film where it has to be told all in one arc? I, I mean, I, I'm good with anything. I love I love telling stories. I love telling stories on stage. I love telling stories on radio. I love telling stories on film. You know, there's lots of different ways to tell things. I do like the longer form of telly. Um, I don't think the Eddie could work. Uh, as a film, um, uh, I don't think his style materials. I think his style materials has got such breadth that it, it was very difficult to make it work as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that was a real struggle for them because because uh, because there was such density to Philip's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but um, you know, we, and and Long Fontelli has the advantage of time, um, uh, which is a huge advantage. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very really pleased with the the quality now because it had been uneven or I don't know maybe because um, I don't know if it was so much the and I'm not sure if you can compare by American or um, English but there were so many episodes that had to be done with network television right and so yeah. but now it's so nice that you can have a shorter series or you know these yeah. mini series it's. Really interesting storytelling. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never written a 22 episode arc. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I've never, <laughs> I've never done that. So I've only ever done the short ones. Uh, yes, no, I hear you. Yeah, 10 feels a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, eight feels a lot, you know. I'm Lainey Sperry from a sophomore student studying history and anthropology at Barnard College. I'm an associate podcast producer and interviewer at The Creative Process. I found it really interesting to hear about Thorne's work in a diversity of fields and mediums. As a writer myself, switching between formats and processes has helped me grow as a storyteller in all areas, and I love that he identified the strengths of working across mediums. As a prolific writer, the projects Thorne has worked on span different formats, time periods, and genres but his commitment to storytelling is ever-present in his work and the way he discusses it. Similarly, I was struck by Thorne's enthusiasm for continuous growth and improvement, even after spending so much time in the industry. I think that for writers, and really all artists, adapting to new situations and constantly learning is so important, and Thorne's career and ideas exemplify how different and disparate works all contribute to creative growth. I was also so interested in the way that Thorne spoke about collaboration as a writer. I think that writing is too often seen as an isolated or singular pursuit, but especially in script writing, collaboration and improvisation are integral to the writing process. With television, film, and theater, so many different artistic voices are involved with creating a story. It's so important the way that Thorne considers not just how the script will change through improvisation, but also how visual, oral, and emotional aesthetics will affect the narrative. There's truly no individual who is wholly responsible for what the audience experiences, and this allows for a communal process where a diversity of thought, skill, and background can come together to tell one story. I think these ideas of collaboration in creating and writing are also connected to Thorne's work in adapting stories and worlds. Adaptations bring their own set of challenges and strengths to writing, and I was fascinated by the way Thorne spoke about combining his own ideas while working within already developed worlds, especially those as beloved as Harry Potter and his Dark Materials. In my experience, writing, like most art, isn't stagnant. It bounces off of previous ideas to combine with the writer's individual perspective, creating something new and dynamic. Thorne's work as a scriptwriter exemplifies the balance writers must keep in mind of honoring both the story and one's own creativity. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with screenwriter and playwright Jack Thorne. I recently also enjoyed Wonder, and that I was crying. I thought that was so moving and um, really interesting. Did you tell how did you how did that story come about? Was that um, if you just tell the story for people because I, I just found it very interesting. 
and empathetic. Yeah. So I was uh, I I pitched for it. I was sent it by um, uh, by a film studio who were looking for writers for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was before it became such a huge huge book, um, and uh, I. I loved it. I, I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful story. I'm always interested in telling stories about the disabled experience, and this felt like an opportunity to do that in the way that RJ Palacio had had told the story of Orgy felt really beautiful. Um, and the thing that I loved and the thing I was I campaigned for was keeping that idea of the story being a relay race. So it's not all just told from Orgy's perspective, that you that you hear from via, you hear from you hear from um uh, you hear from uh, Jack Whale, and uh, you hear from Miranda, and that, that by allowing that complexity to um, inhabit the screen, that you can tell a richer story. Um, uh, I was the first writer on it. Um, I did a number of drafts, and then other writers came in, and the film became slightly different. But uh, I'm I'm really proud of the finished result. I think I, I think um, uh, it, 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 it was beautifully achieved. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 always nice when it can be also a learning experience. I think um, I feel fortunate not to really experience bullying other than the usual. Maybe there's names or you know, so maybe sometimes people can be children can be cruel, but I think it's nice that it can be a learning experience where you can show the effects to um, young people of you know what happens when people are bullied or are shunned, and um, so that's not it's nice to be a part of that too. Yeah, uh, RJ wrote um, a children's book version of Wanda, which is rather lovely, and is all about Orgy going up in a space rocket. And um, and uh, so I've been reading that. I've read that probably you know a couple of dozen times to my son at night before he goes to bed. You know, the, it's part of our rotation of books that we do. We read three books a night, and and that's often been one of them. And we have some very interesting chats about it. And Elliot's four; he doesn't. He's not really experienced anything really yet of the outside world. He doesn't like other kids, so he doesn't really, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, worry about what they're thinking or doing. But he does notice that Orky looks different. And he does want to talk about why that was and what that is and how he should respond to that. And, um, and, and that feels really important conversation to have with him. Yeah, well, I think so. We're such an image-based culture now and social media, so I can't imagine what it is like growing up in this environment where everything is so documented. But um, so I think it is so important to have those stories that help um, explain what can be confusing. You've had, um, you know, success in England. You've had success, well, in America and in different countries. Um, But what have been, sometimes when you've adapted works for different countries, what what were some things that you felt, you know, needed to be there to explain? You know, there's always these cultural differences or what did you find, or maybe not so much? Yeah, the... I haven't really done much. Uh, I've written, I've written scripts for American stories like Wanda. I've written quite a few of those scripts, um, and it is always interesting that thing. And it's you know, there's obviously different words like you know, pavement becomes sidewalk, and do you know what I mean? Like you know, and all that sort of thing. Uh, character is hard because when you're creating a character, you're trying to be specific, not universal. And that you hope that 
the character you can create specifically would um that, that, that you're that you're able to you're able to do that wherever that character is from but you're always learning questions and my experience on the eddie for instance was one where we had uh andre and amandla the, the two leads um brought up questions of african-american identity that i was struggling to answer and um and I, I had to ask for an African-American writer to become part of our team, our writer's team. We had a diverse team already, um, but we didn't have an African-American writer on the team. And um, and so we brought in Philip House because I was drowning trying to write them. I, I, I just wasn't getting it right. And um, and Philip really transformed the work and, and did a huge amount of good for us. And it can also be interesting when... Um different artists are embraced by different countries. I'm just thinking now of France because of the Eddie and um, notably they were sometimes the first to embrace or the, you know, the bigger audience for jazz musicians or like a lot of African-American writers like James Baldwin or even other writers like who you've also adapted. I think Philip K. Dick. No. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, like he, the, the biggest fans were, were uh, there, and and even like Francis Bacon was like big in France before he really was. Uh, so that's kind of interesting when one culture sees something else, maybe not doesn't even fully understand it. It's like drawn to its enigma or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's 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 fascinating, and um, and it's interesting as an outsider writing about something, mm-hmm. and. Uh, with the Eddie, I was trying to write a story about Paris, but part of the reason why I was trying to write a story about Paris was because I was aware where London and, and New York were going, and I thought there was an interesting story to tell about cities and to tell about exclusion and to tell about there's there's an exclusivity to Paris because of that ring road. She sure. just changed the makeup of the city, and that felt something interesting to explore for where London's going, for where New York's going, for where modern cities in general are going, um, with how we deal with with um, hegemony, you know. Yeah, and it is, yeah, because outside, the, and you have the, then the banlieue, and uh, yeah, the visitor, the tourist experience of Paris or any of these cities that you speak of is just different than the people yeah. living in, in certain neighborhoods. And I was just, I was, I, I guess I didn't finish asking because I was curious about the adaptation process and how, uh, well, when you're adapting a, a writer who's no longer with us, then maybe you have some free reign. <laughs> but um, then when a writer's like J.K. Rowling or Philip Pullman or whatever, when, when they're there, uh, did they, like, I don't know, it's the screening process. Like, what are they asking you before you can be invited into the project? How closely are they um, collaborators in that sense or... I mean, I don't know. It's a weird thing because there's not like they don't come and sit there and interview and go, you know. So, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the name of Harry's mother? And <laughs> if you don't, if you're not able to answer, then you don't get the gig. Um, uh, you know, they don't quiz you in that respect. Yeah. Um, they're trying to get a sense of you, and they're trying to get a sense of whether you can fit in their world. And so you have these conversations and you know um meeting joe jk rowling was one of like you know you you we went up to see her in edinburgh john and i john tiffany and i she'd already met john tiffany before 
So she knew him and she was meeting me for the first time and she was as nervous as we were. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, she wanted to get on. She wanted us to get on. And so, you know, it wasn't like she was sitting there like John Humphreys going, you know, what's, you know, what, what's, what are you about? She was much more sort of like discussing, you know, uh, uh, what school was like for us or, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it was a much more open and, and, and beautiful discussion. With Philip, I was aware that I was being given an opportunity to ask him questions about this book I was adapting. With Joe, obviously, it was a new story, so there wasn't like, you know, I didn't have specific questions. With Philip, I, kept, I was the one armed with questions because I was asking, there's this gap here, there's this gap here, what's the story here? Tell me this, tell me that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, so it was much more that kind of conversation than, um, than, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. It was much more sort of like using that as an opportunity to to get an understanding of the books, get a greater understanding of the books. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's so interesting. And then there's all sorts of um, writers, some who have maybe even no visual sense, <laughs> like, like practically, uh, you know, there's some, and then I think that it seems like J.K. Rowling and Philip Coleman are visual writers in terms of they're, they're seeing the universe. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're both incredibly sophisticated and very clever writers. And I have had bad experiences with authors where authors are, where you sit in a room with them or you get notes from them and they're like, why did you change this? Why did you change that? Why did you change the other thing? And do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and they're angry because they feel like you're disrespecting their story and actually all you're trying to do is translate it um, to a different medium. Um, uh, but that wasn't my experience with either Philip or Joan. No, I was very, very lucky in that respect. Yeah. That, or with that... RJ, frankly, either. Yes. And yeah, that's so, yeah, that is so nice. Yeah, I, I know the other type too, because each word feels very precious to them. I think like, it's something like prose writers, like feel words, um, like they're almost a physical presence and they can almost remember <laughs> every single word. And if you read one off, they say, you didn't say that. Why did you not say that? <laughs> uh, but this is so nice when uh, they understand the essence of theater. And who been important I mean these are collaborators I guess they're also teachers in a way too but uh, in terms of when you were beginning or throughout your career who have been who have you really you know learned a lot about the craft of storytelling from I'm very lucky I've got a big long list uh-huh. um uh Chris Hannon who was my teacher when I was at university he was a wonderful playwright uh Pavel Pavlikovsky who was my first employer um uh in um in 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 film and tv he was incredible brian elsley who created skins who show ran skins and who taught me a huge amount about about how you write scripts um and then um john tiffany my director my friend do you know what i mean like you know who i just feel like i've grown up with and then and then shane meadows who i've co-written with for 12 odd years and uh and I love John and Shane so much, and their teachers, their friends, they're they're lovely people. They're incredibly patient with me, and 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 you know, and they've transformed me as a writer. It's so beautiful to have these ex- uh, collaborative experiences. And you touched on a bit of uh, you uh, you've written quite a bit for for radio, um, yes. and of course BBC. And well, there's a great. 
I also I grew up listening to BBC Radio, so I really am um, affectionate for it. It's not not every country has this such a strong radio culture. I hope that's not going away now with all the developments in TV, but. Um, there's just some things you can only do on radio and the intimacy of it, you know, in terms of involving the listener's imagination. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Um, one of the best things I've ever done was for radio. It was a piece called People Snonky in Public Places. And um, uh, and I still think it's one of the better things I've written. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I would love for it to, to keep its place alongside these other mediums. Maybe it's inevitable. It won't be such, but... What seems very interesting about it is it's really related, as you said, you have this tradition of reading to your child, uh, to Elliot, before bedtime. And it's really hand in hand with this, like that early experience of how we receive stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, we're just moving from picture books mm-hmm. to more um, wordy books that he's got a Winnie the Pooh book that's got a lot of words in and not much, not many pictures. Mm-hmm. And normally when I read to him, he's staring at the pictures. Um, and then when I read Winnie the Pooh to him, he just stares off into the middle of the distance and uh, just thinks. Um, and I love that. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's wonderful how you can sneak philosophy into even these young... <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been also collaborating... I don't know your whole body of work. Have you also been collaborating with um, illustrators? Have you been working... On, do you work on books as well no 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 no, I don't sadly not yeah would you like to or is it it's a whole different it's a whole different thing and I don't think I'm really capable of writing books I think I think I want to get better at writing scripts first and then and then and then you know like you know if if later on in life no I'm getting on a bit now but do you know what I mean like you know if it's something that's still a thing that I want to do later on in life maybe but right now I'm still just concentrating on writing scripts and were you one of these writers who was also involved in in acting? Or are you? Yeah, I did. I did act a bit when I was a kid, but um, not not recently. I've only ever played one part on television, and that was a part called Carrot Bum uh, for Shane Meadows, um, uh, who cast me because he couldn't find an actor lonely or weird enough to play the role. So he wow. said, "You have to do it." So um, yeah, big compliment for Shane. Look no further. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Do you find that daunting? Are you but are you acting out your kind of scripts as you go? No, 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 no. They just live in my head. Yeah. Because right. it's it's interesting how you how you can keep all of those people there without <laughs> I do wonder how you know you're... they're very vivid. I think you know what I mean? Like, you know, and I think that's just practice. I don't think that's sort of anything innate. I think it's just that that I've written so many scripts. That I know what someone sounds like, you know. That um, I've just been rewriting voiceovers for um, for his dark materials, and and we were just swapping, trying different characters out in the in, 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 for this this voiceover that we might use in, in the show, and um, and uh, you know I'm writing those different characters, I'm writing those pieces in different ways. It's actually really quite fun because you're just you, you're just playing with what information is 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 there and and uh, and how it's used. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's so wonderful. And, you know, this is an educational initiative and so many of our young students involved, they really want to know how they can be involved more in the arts and for you to have this opportunity to live many lives as, yeah, as yeah. writers, as artists in different disciplines. So I guess you're having your other call soon, so I better, like, wind up with the last two questions. Is that okay? Yeah, um, yeah. So 
I guess I should mention, you know, we're all in this kind of lockdown too. I guess it's yeah. appropriate to mention how, I mean, in terms of the, uh, like the theater that's happening all around us, um, someone, some writer said to me, it was kind of like a locked uh, door mystery or locked room mystery. Um, what is, what have you been observing? What have you been appreciating about life before? Or what have, you know, it's strange times. I mean, I haven't been observing much because I haven't really left the house. I left the house once with Elliot and I felt very intimidated uh, and not very free. So we came back in. We're very lucky we've got a garden at home. So we've been in here, you know, like, you know. Uh, um, so, no, I, I like you, you get the sense of what's happening outside and you get a sense from talking to family and friends a little bit. But I don't really know what what people you know what I mean like you know I've been observing the politicians as we all have um but but no I don't I don't have a sense of it yet I don't have a sense of it yet you know I I, I couldn't describe what's happening at all at the moment do you know what I mean like you know Sure, people are stripped down. But what is interesting, I've noticed that people who are, are reflecting on an, what they value, even if they can't experience it, like live theatre or something. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, uh, my worry is that we've become much more self-serving and that because we've got scared, we've stopped thinking about others as quite as much. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a real meltdown about um, uh, underlying health conditions, which, which was just being used on every statistic about how many people had died and how many people had underlying health conditions. And it was just a way of distinguishing the disabled population from us. Mm -hmm. And um, and I found that a very dark thought, uh, you know, about how people react when they're scared. But who knows? You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe we're going to come out of this with strong humanity. Maybe we're going to come out of this with less. Maybe because we've got scared, we're going to just be in the scramble for the air and we're not going to care about others. I, I hope not. No. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's optimistic. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess, um, yeah. This true. It's. It, you mean you've worked it out the plot. It could go to. You know. It could go a number yeah. of different ways. So yeah, that's true. Um, and I guess as you you know think about the the future, because um, that's you know we do a lot of reflecting on that with this project um, about education and the environment and technology and all these systems we have that are kind of working, but in many ways they could be improved. I mean, what are some things that you would like to, you had an excellent education, as I understand, you're great teachers, um, but, you know, what are some ways that you might like to in, improve these current systems so that we could have a better tomorrow? Just to just constantly being forced to think diverse thoughts. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that I, I think that the, 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 that we are in danger, you know, we've got rich white men running the world at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, uh, and yet we've got a multicultural society that's not being observed properly. And that's, and that was my thing about the Eddie that, do you know what I mean? That, you know, that I felt like Paris was just sort of in love with itself and not necessarily thinking, do you know what I mean? That, you know, about, no, I think that's unfair. I don't mean that. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, I just think that, that, that thing of, that thing of just, 
not being aware of what story your city was telling. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I think in London, we're not aware of what we're doing. I don't think, I, I think we're not aware that we're shipping people out. And so we're changing the story and the truth of what we live. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, and I think that that thing of just constantly thinking about, um, you know, constantly being, uh, constantly having your empathy challenged, I think is the most important way of living life. So I want to thank you, uh, Jack Thorne, for sharing, uh, um, for inviting us into your imaginative world, for your stories full of darkness and light and the magic of the everyday that exists uh, behind every corner. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your reflections and for adding your voice to the creative process. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Lainey Sperry-Fromm. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition traveling to leading universities or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.